1: Bring in show music,
0: please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, we're on the ground at a real live in-person conference.
2: We're in a new venue.
0: CNBC's Delivering Alpha Investor Summit, where we hear from the famed activist short seller, Muddy Waters founder, Carson Block.
1: A lot of our work has been in the green tech space or really these fake ESG companies because there's so much money that has been thrown at trying to save the world through public companies.
0: And what's happening in Iran? Violence, internet blackouts, and why Elon Musk's Starlink is getting involved. Kareem Sajjapour from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace.
3: Whether you're Elon Musk or you know, you're, you're someone sitting um, watching these protests, um, it's, it's pretty clear who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in this context.
0: Those conversations, plus the Bank of England is buying bonds to calm market chaos. And here at home, our central bank is in its own battle against inflation. Special appearances from CNBC's David Faber and Jim Cramer.
4: We're back to 2008 rates, but I remember seeing you in the cafeteria concerning about whether- The satellite GE dish? would uh, take me, whether our, <laughs> our checks would cash. Right. We're not in that. We're not in that.
0: It's Wednesday, September 28th, 2022, and Squawk Pod Delivering Alpha begins right now.
2: Stand by
3: Joe in three, two, one. His mic is here.
2: Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. We're live at CNBC's Delivering Alpha uh, Investor Summit in New York, where business leaders and top investors are gathering to discuss the issues that matter most to your money. And we're in a new venue, and did you know this place was here? This um, place not uh, until recently, it's but it's like brand new. Right across from, just down from the Intrepid, and there's a there. big cruise ship um, where everybody is trapped on there. They can't get off because they got I don't know a- COVID. Something. Yeah, no, there's, that's not true. But I look at a, don't you look at a cruise ship now? A and little say, differently. I'm not even going to step on the bow <laughs> of that thing because I'll never get off it. Uh, no, I don't. It's a very cool spot. That's a big. We're going to need a bigger boat. No, we aren't going to need a bigger boat. But that is a big. Uh, a big boat right across from us, uh, right out the window if we turn around, and it's a very cool space. It's kind of a uh, — isn't it a 21st century space? We used to be at the Pierre, which yeah. is sort of state and legacy and, you know, old New York. Now we're happening. Now we're at New Money. Yeah. Can you believe I didn't know about a happening spot in New York <laughs> City? Shocking. It's hard to believe that I didn't know it was here. But it given is, the <laughs> — It is pretty. Yeah, given the state of the markets uh, and the economy, it's never been more vital to hear from some of the biggest names uh, in business.
0: Joe's not kidding. The markets this week have been a whirlwind. On Tuesday, the S&P hit a new low for this bear market, the Nasdaq gained by the skin of its teeth. But Wall Street is largely looking abroad with the rest of the world's economists. Today, to soothe market volatility, the Bank of England announced an intervention. It'll buy up bonds, taking on UK government debt in hopes of stabilizing its market chaos. Now. This all started with the new UK government's new economic policy, its quote-unquote mini-budget, which prompted a sell-off in the British fixed-income markets. That historic sell-off, coupled with the plunge of the British pound against the dollar, has set up some serious uneasiness in the global markets. So, as Joe said, today is a good day for CNBC's Delivering Alpha Summit. 10 years running with a two year pandemic hiatus, it's CNBC's biggest event. We've hosted investors like Carl Icahn and Bill Ackman, hedge fund leaders like the guy you'll hear from in just a moment. We've even booked treasury secretaries and vice presidents. And until now, we've hosted everyone at the Pierre Hotel in Midtown New York. This year, we're at the Glass House, a modern event venue overlooking the west side of Manhattan.
2: What a great scene we have uh, we have trepid. here. I'm feeling like Tom Cruise.
0: Now, behind the set where Becky and Joe are sitting, our other delivering alpha guests are filing in, getting coffee, setting up for a day jam-packed with Wall Street legends and, naturally, their tips for earning alpha. You'll hear some of their white noise throughout today's One of the summit guests is Carson Block, a Wall Street hedge funder famous for shorting companies, originally Chinese companies. His short selling isn't why he's got Wall Street captivated, though. He's famous for scrutinizing businesses. Carson Block's firm Muddy Waters publishes long, detailed reports on public companies around the world, calling out fraudulent behavior and suspected malpractice, makes him a pretty interesting voice on ESG, or environmental social governance practices in business, and who's doing what well. And since he's a short seller, he's a pretty great guy to ask about the aftermath of the meme stock craze. Becky and Joe spoke to the activist short seller today from their desk in the middle of the conference action.
5: Carson, the thing I really want to talk to you about is how is it being a short seller these days? Because we have seen so many changes, um, so much activity, people going after shorts. What's it like trying to find positions that you can short these days?
1: Well, it's not hard to find companies that have problems. But you do mention that the environment is its somewhat toxic towards short sellers. And I'd say ever since COVID, when you've had a lot of retail enter the market, just the amount of vitriol and level of vitriol that does get directed toward the short side is, it's new. I mean, I've gotten death threats since day one, but I feel like I get a lot more now and they're you know on Twitter in many cases. So that's somewhat new. But in terms of the environment for finding problematic companies, yeah, I mean there there are lots of them and now these theses are It's somewhat easier to realize them in an environment where people are realizing that they have to be more averse to risk than they used to be.
5: So you're talking about in the last month or two, it's gotten easier maybe to find some places where stocks prices are going to come down more rapidly because before you had stocks that would hang in there and retail investors who would prop them up even if they didn't like some of what they saw in the prospectus.
1: Well, the the turning point actually was the meme stock craze because after the meme stocks, so around February or March of 21, it became a lot easier. So there was, after meme stocks, nobody in my little industry of activist short selling went out publicly on a company until a firm called Hindenburg Research, which I think was in maybe February or March of 21, on Clover Health, which by the way, has been a fantastic short. And instead of that stock getting pushed up to the moon after they spoke, it actually behaved normally. So that showed the rest of us that, okay, maybe the waters are okay. We did a company called XL Fleet, fake EV type of company in March of 21, and so there are these paroxysms where these uh, low quality companies just, you know, where they jump, but those seem to be short lived. So it's been a good environment, ironically, for us since the meme stock craze.
5: So where are you looking these days? I, I know crypto is an area that you've thought is potentially rife with, you know, people who are trying to make a fast
1: buck. Right. So. I mean cryptos we've been short a few crypto names in the past these are crypto miners I and mean, we don't like I don't spend my time looking at dogecoin versus bitcoin and that's pretty much irrelevant to me but when you have a lot of money flow into a space you know that you're going to get scammers and people trying to take advantage of that so we're generally not thematic but when I look back on the past year and a half a lot of our work has been in the green tech space, or really these fake ESG companies, because there's so much money that has been thrown at trying to save the world through public companies that so many of these companies so that's are not redundant. Carson? Trying to save the world for, no, through no pu- fake ESG. Is it real? it ESG? <laughs> well, ESG zealots, <laughs> we tell you, didn't say yes. <laughs> no, I mean it's Look, I, I, I would like to save the world. Okay, like I believe that we do have problems. However. These companies that I've seen are not the ones who are going to save us. Many of these are just money grabs dressed up in, (laughs) you know, clad in green and, you know, as well as the dollar green. And so when I look at the companies we've shorted, XL Fleet, Danimer, which was a bioplastics company, um, Sunrun most recently, and Hannon Armstrong. I mean, these are all companies that are grifting in their own way, and when you get into the solar space, like Sunrun, I mean, they're grifting the U.S. government by inflating the, the basis for their tax subsidies. So they're screwing the U.S. government, they're screwing investors by basically creating this illusion of a lot of value at the end of the rainbow. And by the way, as, as rates have done this, I think Sunrun is still discounting these 25-year-long assets by what, 5%? That's their discount rate? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's completely disingenuous. So there's so much froth in that space that still needs to unwind.
5: What do these companies say in response, these specific ones you just mentioned?
1: Oh, I mean, they say you're wrong and you don't understand. They always say you don't understand our business. I mean, this goes back to like these Chinese frauds that we started shorting in 2010. You don't understand our business. Well, when your real business is being a public company, we understand it pretty well. What, the ESG funds have already underperformed.
2: What, happened when, what happens when the actual uh, uh, air comes out of what you're, what you're describing now? They're going to un, uh, underperform even more miserably.
1: So you, yeah. know, you know what's will they, funny? Will they go away finally? Well, you know what's funny is that some people will pound the table and tell you that ESG funds have outperformed. And there was an op-ed that written by one of the managing editor of one of your competitors in the media space a few weeks ago arguing that Ron DeSantis is wrong because ESG funds always outperform. And they cited a few ESG index funds. And I went in and looked at these indices and the top like 15 companies are the exact same as the top yeah. 15 in the S&P 500. The weightings are just maybe a few tens of basis points different, but the fees are two thirds higher than on S&P Spiders. So if really? you look at it, yeah. So if you look at it that way, you could say like, oh, well, the USG funds have outperformed, but you know, this cannot be real ESG. I mean, J&J is one of the top holdings, and I'm like, well, I mean, what's the theory there that if your company is so big that one division does something horrible, like asbestos and talcum powder, that we can overlook it because you've got all these other divisions that don't seem to be, you know, giving people cancer? I mean, is that what gives you a high ESG score? ESG's
2: never gonna outlive when Europe freezes this winter. There's no way around The, the deleterious effects Of that entire movement, on the where we are right now in terms of an energy, there is an energy. There's a crisis. It's It's called an energy crisis.
1: Yeah, and the tragedy is we have not invested in nuclear, been shutting down nuclear plants. I mean, that's the tragedy. Can ESG invest in nuclear? See, see, how do you decide? See,
3: I would
2: think I would true ESG would would have nuclear right at the top of the list. But and and we pointed out before, if you're a fiduciary and hydrocarbon companies are dirt cheap, as a fiduciary to to maximize returns for retirees and other people in your fund, that's where you need to be. So it's just counterproductive
1: to even consider a lot of that stuff. Right, well also, let's be totally blunt here, ESG, nobody cares about the G. Nobody cares about the G. Not even sure anybody cares about the S, but it's always been about the E, because that's really sexy, there's a great narrative you can sell, to investors, whether it's individual investors in the market, or your fund investors.
5: You said at the beginning that you get more death threats now, there's a lot more vitriol. Have you thought about getting out of the short-selling business?
1: I mean, I think you have to to think about these things from time to time. Um, But you know, when I've gone through that exercise, and the first time I really went through that exercise was in 2017, and I, I just came to the conclusion that, I would be right back doing what I'm doing right now, just potentially without my team to support me. So um, it's what I it's what I love to do. At the end of the day, I mean, it it is what it is. It's not the easiest way to have an investment business, but um, you know, and it it can be really hard. But it's what I love to do. So I'm here. Well, Carson,
5: we are grateful that you're here. It's great to see you today, and uh, we look forward to your panel later today.
1: Thanks much. Thank you.
0: Next on SquawkPod, a clash over morality laws in Iran. And U.S. companies like Elon Musk's Starlink are trying to help. The internet censorship, the violence, and how business is getting involved. We hear from Kareem Sajapur, a senior fellow at the Middle East Program for the Carnegie Endowment for International
3: Peace. Nonviolent democratic protests against a regime whose official ideology is death to America. So this is a no-brainer and it's a, it's a bipartisan issue.
0: This is Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick, who are both on site at CNBC's delivering Alpha Summit in New York. And they're watching with the rest of the world as a crisis unfolds in Iran.
5: Protests have spread to dozens of cities in Iran following the death of a 22-year-old woman after she was detained by the country's morality police. The government has tried to stamp out protests with tactics, including online clampdowns. But our next guest is Elon Musk told him his space-based, his space-based Starlink Internet service is now working in Iran. Let's bring in Kareem Sajapur. He's a senior fellow with the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace's Middle East program. And, Kareem, let's talk about this. Um, Starlink has already made some massive changes in Ukraine and the war with Russia. What's happening in Iran, and what did Elon Musk tell you?
3: So, Becky, I think the the challenge in Iran is that uh, the United States government— first of all, as you you mentioned, there's nonviolent democratic protests against a regime whose official ideology is death to America. So this is a no-brainer and it's a, it's a bipartisan issue. Both Democrats and Republicans see this as an opportunity in which U.S. interests and U.S. values align aligned to support this movement. Now, the best way that the United States can, can help people in Iran is to inhibit the Iranian regime's ability to control communication and control information too to help Iranians communicate with one another and the outside world, because the goal of the Iranian government is to essentially shut down the internet to uh, prevent the world from know to know what's going on in Iran. And Starlink, as you mentioned, Becky, has been very useful in Ukraine, uh, providing internet uh, for up to 200,000 people. The challenge and the difference with Iran is that Ukraine is a US ally. Uh, the United States has a strong presence in Ukraine. And the Ukrainian government eagerly cooperated to get these Starling terminals set up. In Iran, uh, it's it's the opposite. It's a, it's a hostile government. There's no U.S. presence there, so it's a little more complicated to set that up. But and I'll I'll stop here. Um, I, I think you see a will both from the Biden administration and from Elon Musk to try to. To, to address this issue.
5: How, how do they do it technically?
3: So technically, uh, as I tweeted, and I can't share much more. Uh, Elon Musk said that you know Starlink is now turned on in Iran, and so you now need to get the devices um, um, inside the country. Uh, and you know that that, as I said, is is logistically much more of a challenge in Iran than it was in Ukraine. You're gonna have to go through neighboring countries. Wow.
5: Um, Elon Musk is somebody who. Um has, has not stopped or backed down with any of these things. What did he say, just in terms of why he's so interested, why Starlink is doing this, and, and kind of what he's putting behind it?
3: Uh, I'm sorry, Becky. I can't go into the details of, of what we shared because it was it was a confidential conversation. But but I can tell you that oh, um, he's been in touch with uh, the, the Biden administration, and as I said, I, I think Becky this uh, these protests happening in iran which was triggered by a young woman who was killed at age 22 for showing too much hair this is one of those rare black and white issues in international politics it's not often that we see an issue which is just uh, a no brainer uh, perhaps apartheid south africa was another one of these issues where we just there was um, no shade of gray and i think this is one you know the the ideology of the Iranian regime. There's kind of three pillars left to it. There's death to America, death to Israel, and the mandatory veiling of women. And even Iran's allies, whether it's in Russia or North Korea or Venezuela, even Iran's allies really can't defend this issue. So whether you're Elon Musk or, you know, you're you're someone sitting um, watching these protests. Um, it's, it's pretty clear who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in this context.
5: What happened the last time Iran did this and shut off the Internet from all its citizens? I mean, they're pretty high stakes here.
3: So, the last time Iran did this in 2019, when they also faced nationwide protests, Reuters reported that uh, around 1,500 people were killed, and so this is no joke. The Iranian regime, their mentality is, you know, it's either rule or die. And we saw what Iran has done uh, in Syria, uh, helping the Assad regime um, kill uh, perhaps as many as 500,000 Syrians, displace half of Syria's uh, population, 13 million people. And so, um, you know, we we have every expectation that the Iranian government is going to continue to try to crack down and. You know, there's, from far away, the United States has limited ways of being able to help people in Iran. And I do think the most effective way is to inhibit the Iranian government's ability to, to um, you know, put, put a black cloud over Iran and prevent Iranians from communicating with the outside world and with one another.
5: Kareem, want to thank you for the spotlight you are putting on this, and thank you for your time today.
3: Thank you, Becky.
0: Up next, there's still more Squawk Pod to come a couple of special guests join us. Do you know that balcony. there's the
4: best collection of breakfast
2: foods I've ever seen here? It's, it's like a you know. line pie for dessert. I'm
4: not it sure i
0: recommend
2: that. Then you already had that. Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Jim Cramer and David Faber join Becky and Joe right after this break.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely positively FedEx.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod on CNBC with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. They're on-site at CNBC's Delivering Alpha event with plenty of high-profile guests, like these two.
5: We're joined right now by Jim Cramer and David Faber. And guys, it's really good to have you here because we are watching the news this morning, trying to figure out what to make of it from the Bank of England, figuring out what's happening, uh, not just in bond prices, but in the futures markets. Well, Jim, you got any explanations? It's a
4: movement. I mean, if you watched uh, Frank Holland this morning, at around 5.05, it did feel crash. Mm-hmm. You had a feeling that it was pretty much the end of, uh, of the NASDAQ, which had been the only area that's been holding up, and that was before the Bank of uh, England, I would say, panicked. <laughs> I won't say that they had a considered thought about what to do, but the interesting thing is the reaction to the two-year. And the two-year, David, said basically that the Fed has completed, and I'm not so sure that's an accurate It
3: certainly wouldn't
5: seem to be what uh, Jerome Powell's been indicating uh, or um, many others. But as you said many times, and you guys report on this as well during your show, the two years seems to be dictating where
4: we go on the market right now. Right. And I think people were surprised uh, because it's been on the move four and a half, people expecting five mortgage rates continue to go higher. And maybe there is maybe a crescendo moment where people say the Fed is cognizant that they could destroy the economy. And that maybe that's not their goal
2: i just think you know it's all uh different amounts of half blinks quarter blinks maybe uh, how many eyes do you know there there are animals with a lot maybe one blink on out of a thousand eyes that's what we want i I want to i want to be chased i want to tackle inflation but as strident as they were about transitory i don't want them to be so strident about going up another 300 basis points if the patient really can't be needed. resuscitated.
5: Yeah. The transition is always hardest, isn't it? Well, it's like once we get there, we'll be fine. Right, but it's I, the, mortgage it's rates the, have doubled. It's the
2: trip that is uh, being... mortgage rates t- have doubled. The mortgage rates doubled. 7%, so percent. Are we two after crossing These are all 6%. lagging things that we're going to see be effective. So, so the U.K. messed up fiscally by tax cuts. Those are stimulative. We've messed up fiscally here by, you know, continuing all this, you know, student loan, whatever you want to look at. Are we in a position to where we've done too much fiscally and we have some type of dislocation? Well,
4: I, I know that there's a propensity to trash Jerome Powell, but he's not the one that's been printing the money. He's, he, he's been sort of letting it. No, but he could have he, moved a bit sooner when, you know, he's Paul, just I mean, the, we all know it, it, right, what but many people He didn't believe. have the job
5: at that point, too. Well, I do also, think that some of it was waiting for his confirmation could Let's
4: go back to the get for Thanksgiving where we all decided that Omicron was going to be the worst. And the Chinese reacted by saying, let's lock down the country. Uh, Powell reacted by saying, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this was wrong. He should have continued the action. But let's compare him to a 1.4 billion billion-person country, which has basically been on hold and caused the whole world to be on hold, with the exception of Putin, who's also causing the world to be on hold. I happened to pull up with the House Agricultural Committee, of all people, yesterday, and they're blaming uh, Russia, Ukraine, for the price of food, because of how much fertilizer going up. That's 30 to 40 percent. Again, I'm not sure Powell versus Putin is the way to kind
5: of— I mean, does it surprise you to see the futures higher this morning, Jim?
4: Well, I think that there are a lot of people who have continually said that this is the end, not unlike, say, the door's the end, the end. Right. And maybe it's not. Uh, David, you know that we come in every day, we watch the two-year, and we presume that what the Fed wants to do is take rates to five and a half. That's been the, well, like, five the, and a half, that's the number? Well, I mean, if you think of the two-year going Between to four and a half got half to figure that right? it's 100 basis points over. It. Five, Phil. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, I mean, that's Volker. Yeah. And I know, we had someone on last week who says that, you know, Volcker, he's got the book of Volcker, and he's thinking about Volcker. Well, I mean, can we remember that Volker was the most hated man in America? Right. <laughs> and that he overshot, right. and that we may revere him as a hero, but he crushed the economy right. at a time when we had, fortunately, a president who understood that.
5: Right. Uh, yeah, the magnitude of this move is more so than Volcker's to a certain extent. At least that's yeah. what Kathy Wood would say. That said, five and a half—I mean, you and I were sitting across from each other yeah. every morning
2: back in days when we were five and a half, and things were pretty darn good. They were, but it's—it is. We're never going back to that interest rate. Remember, Jimmy Rogers? If we ever go below six and a half percent, I will—you know—I'll turn in my resignation and, and never speak again on the on on the long bond.
4: Right, right. Well, look, remember, we're back to 2008 rates, but I remember seeing you in the cafeteria concerning about whether the satellite GE dish. would uh, mm-hmm. take, whether our, our checks would cash. Right. We're not in that, we're not in that perspective.
2: At GE, they might be still. No, no, applied, no, 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 right? no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, you know, awesome.
4: I remember seeing you in the cafeteria. That itself was rather incredible. Yes.
2: Oh, That's we right. seeing everybody
4: here. some nice. Everybody's here, All the here. people is we've ever worked with. Yeah. This, this is your life, behind
2: right. the camera, everybody's life. here. It's great.
4: It's quite exciting here. Now, do you know that the there's balcony? the best collection of breakfast foods I've ever seen here? I did we haven't made it over there I'm, I'm talking about just, a, 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 it's kind of like one of those great buffets from
2: old hotels. Were those eggs real though, you know? Yeah, or It's powered? like the key lime pie for dessert. I'm not it sure I'd recommend that. Then you already had that? Of course I did.
4: Right. But it's great, to be, it, it, it's great to be here at Clipping Alpha. And it's seeing people. Person. I shook hands with people. I don't know. That's nice, isn't it? Well, i got to get that next vaccine.
0: That does it for the podcast today. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out our Delivering Alpha Investor Summit from wherever you're listening, go to cnbc.com slash delivering dash alpha squawk box is hosted by joe kernan becky quick and andrew ross sorkin weekday mornings on cnbc at 6 a.m eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our tv show right into your ears follow squawk pod wherever you're listening now
2: i should tell you it's it's audio only this particular one
0: Squawk <laughs> right... podcast. Yeah.
1: oh they all are okay <laughs> sorry
0: we'll meet you back here tomorrow
3: we are clear thanks guys